Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father God, thank you for this day, oh God. Thank you so much for all the things that you shared with us, oh God. Thank you so much for for allowing us to come to a Sunday service, oh God where we get to come and learn and hear more about your word, O oh God, and receive the call that you've given us, O oh God. Lord, I pray today, O oh God, that the words that come out of my mouth would not be my own, O oh God, but I pray that the words that come out would be your words, O oh God. Lord, I pray that you'd plant a seed in everybody's hearts and minds that are here under the sound of my voice today, O oh God, that they would not leave here the same, O oh God, but that they would leave encouraged to go out into this world and to fulfill the purpose that you've given them. It's in your precious and holy name that we pray, and everybody says... Amen, amen, and amen. Like I said last night, I was in Georgia in Megan's apartment last night, and I was in the pool, and I was sharing with them that what I was going to share with the youth group next week is I was going to share a word about their calling. If you've been at church for any amount of time, you would have heard many sermons, and I, I was basically born in the church, but I was certainly raised in the church, where you hear the word, you know, I was called to be a pastor. I was called to be in the worship team. I was called to be a, a you know, do the cleaning ministry or being an usher. And, and many, you've also heard the opposite. You've also heard I definitely wasn't called to be a singer on the worship team. And some people say I was called to be a singer on the worship team and you're like, ah, come on. <laughs> Maybe, but no, come on. But the message that I'm gonna share about today is about the calling, about your calling. And, uh, you know, if you're at church, sometimes you kind of hear how, how people share their calling. Usually when they say that they have a calling, it means that they've received a special assignment from God. They know exactly what God has told them and put them on this earth to do. And usually the way that they share, or sometimes it's, it, or it, it's just something that stays on my mind when they share it, is that they receive some special revelation like how God called Samuel. If we turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel 3, Verse 1, there's, there's a very special way that God calls Samuel. It says like this, now Samuel was just a boy, and he was under the tutelage at that time of a priest named Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Next verse. We're going to go all the way down to verse, uh, verse 10. And it came to pass that at that time, while Eli was still lying down in the place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, next verse, before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle, Samuel was lying down and getting prepared to go to sleep. And, and sure enough, Samuel falls asleep. And then the next verse, it shares that all of a sudden, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel, he said, here I am. Next verse. So he ran to Eli and he said, Eli, you called me? And Eli's like, dude, what the heck are you talking about? I was sleeping. I don't know what, what it is you're trying to tell me. He's like, no, I thought you called me. He's like, go back to bed, man. I'm tired. Okay, so he went back to bed. Next verse. But sure enough, he hears a voice again, and all of a sudden, uh, verse 6, it says, the Lord called out yet again, and Samuel rose up and said, Eli, I'm here. What do you need? And Eli's like, I didn't call you, man. What's going on? Go back to bed. All right, you went back to bed. Verse 7, it says, again, sure enough, now Samuel did not yet know that it was the Lord that was calling, and the Lord was going to reveal something to Samuel. Verse 8 says, the Lord called Samuel a third time, and the third time he got up, and then finally Eli realized it's like, I guess this guy's not having weird dreams, something's really being said to him, and so he says, listen, Eli, next time someone calls you, verse 9, 
Go and lie down, and if he calls you again, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place, and sure enough, he heard the voice again, and God called Samuel in an audible voice, and he said, and he received the call that God gave him. And many times it's been shared on this pulpit plenty of times, and I'm not here to call anybody's credibility. They say that God spoke to them and gave them a special revelation of what they're supposed to do, uh, and, and they heard an audible voice. And, and that happens, I guess. And in, in, there's another way that we've seen that God calls someone in the New Testament. You, know, you might say that this is an Old Testament thing, but in the New Testament, there's something that's similar that happens to Saul, who, is, who became Paul. It says that Saul was on a donkey, and Saul was riding a donkey, and all of a sudden there was a bright light, and he got pushed off the donkey, and he was on his way to Damascus, and God said in verse, uh, verse 4, he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5 says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the Bible says, it says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So verse 6, in Acts 9, verse 6 says, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So we see that there's one type of way that people receive their calling, that they hear it in an audible voice, and they respond to it as in saying, here I am, Lord, like you would respond to, to me if I were to call you. And there's another way it says in the, the New Testament that it says that, you know, you're, you're, you're on the way. In this case, he was on his way to do something evil. He was going to go persecute some Christians. All of a sudden, God knocked him off his donkey and said, hey, Saul, it's your time to go into the ministry. And that's an incredible call, too. And the, both of those are divine revelations. That's an incredible thing. And I'm not here to share with you that that doesn't happen. I don't know whether it happens or not. I'm just here to share with you that it didn't happen in my life. I didn't feel called to the ministry in that way. I didn't get a divine, you know, audible voice calling me and saying, Josh, today, I mean, my dad did, but I didn't get a, a call. I didn't hear a loud voice, a thunderous voice say, hey, Josh, you're, you're going to be Pastor Josh. I, didn't, I wasn't on the way to Boca Raton, and then all of a sudden I get, you know, taken out by something, and it says, Josh, today you're going to be an incredible, that didn't happen. And so just because that stuff doesn't, didn't happen to me, I'm here to share with you today that I do know what my calling is, and I'm very clear on what my calling is, and today I'm here to share with you as well that if you're in church today, you also have a calling, and it's unique, it's a special calling, I'm here to share with you today that you're not just, God didn't just create you and then just leave you as, you know, nothing, you were created uniquely fashioned for something, you're not just a mass-produced, you know, toy that does the same thing, a common thing, you are a unique and special person. You've got a unique call over your life. God's called you to, for, for something specific. You've got a purpose. Your purpose is to f- find out what that is and, and complete it. The way that the, the Bible describes that God, God's, God created man, like I said, it wasn't just he created everybody to look the same, act the same, do the same thing. He created them special. He created them unique. The way that David describes God's creative process for creating you was it was like an artist creating a masterpiece. If you go in Psalm 139, and we're going to read that a little bit, because it's important to see what God did when he was creating you. In verse 13, we're going to go to 18, Psalm 139, 13, verse 18. David describes God's, God's you know, fashioning of man. It says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Next verse. It says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Next verse. It says that you, my frame was not hidden from you. And when I was made in secret, 
I was skillfully sewn together. I was in the lowest part of the earth. Next verse. Your eyes saw something that wasn't formed yet, and in your book all my days are written and fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. Next verse. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. And finally in verse 18, where I'd account the things or your thoughts towards me, they're more numerous than the sand of the, of the sea. When I awake, I'm still with you. So like I said, when, what this verse, what these groups of verses share with us, this whole chapter, if you have a chance to read Psalm 139, I encourage you to do so. Because it's basically God telling you how much he cares for you and how special you are. Because he took time with you. He's forming you. He was thinking about what you were to become and spent his time to put everything together so that you're able to fulfill the thing that he called you for. It says he spent his time, he thought about this person is going to do this thing. What is he going to need to complete or she need to complete that thing? You're especially designed for that thing. It's important to know your calling. Super important. And I can assure you today that you, weren't, you were called for something. You weren't called to do nothing. You've got a special call. You weren't called to be just sit on the bench. You were called to be a player in God's amazing game. You were called to do something special. The way that it worked out in my life, how did I find out my call? It's, it's similar to how, how it happened in David's life. Because in 1 Samuel 16, verse 2, and we're going to go through verse 7, it talks about how there was this, this prophet that God said, we, the, the king of Israel right now is doing crazy, crazy things right now. And he needs to be replaced. Go out, and I'm going to tell you where, where, the, where the next king is going to be. And so Samuel's like, if I, if I go do that and someone hears, they're going to kill me. But the Lord said, take the cow with you and say, I've come to the sacrifice of the Lord. And so God is describing Samuel how he's supposed to find this new leader. Next verse. Now Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived, uh, verse 3, it says, Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You're going to anoint for me the one I named to you. Next verse. So Samuel did what the Lord said to him, and he went out to Bethlehem, and he, uh, to the elders of the town, trembled at his coming, and said, Do you come peaceably? Next verse. And so he said, yeah, I come peaceably, and I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to sacrifice, uh, to the sacrifice. And so he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice, the big barbecue. Verse 6. So it was when that they came, they looked at Eliab, and surely the Lord anointed it. Uh, and, and Samuel looks at this guy, and he says, man, this guy is a stud. This guy named Eliab, uh, this is the one that God anointed. Next verse. And it says, but the Lord said to him, don't look at the outward appearance because I've refused him for the Lord doesn't see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. And if you continue to read this chapter, I'm not here to say that I'm, I'm King David. That's not what I'm trying to say. So please bear with me. If you read these chapters, all of a sudden you start reading that Samuel goes down the line and he looks at all the people that he thinks are being called to this calling of, of being a, a, a king of Israel and every single person that he sees, he says, okay, it's surely the firstborn, it's surely the second, it's surely the third, it's surely the fourth, and going down the list of Jesse's sons, because God told him it was going to come from the line of Jesse. 
And then he's doing that. He's going down the list and saying, you know, God, it's got to be this guy. This guy's a stud. It's like, no, it's not that guy. Okay, this guy is, this, come on, secondborns are always, you know, better than every. He said, no, not, not that one either. And went down the list, and every single time he went to the person and thought it was that person, God's like, no, that's not it. The crazy thing that happens here is that all of a sudden, if we go to verse 11, it says that there was one son left, and he wasn't even invited to the barbecue. He was out doing, you know, something else. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the young men you've got here? And then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and, there's, and he's over there keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him in, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Next verse. So he sent and brought him in, and now he was rough-looking, bright-eyed, good-looking, amen. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is the one. And if you would have read this verse, and if you wouldn't have known, you would have seen this stuff and said, wow, look at David's calling. He, David just got called. But what you would have missed is that David was already in his calling, and he was already doing his calling. David was out doing the assignment that God had called him to do already. He was only that was, while he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, he was fulfilling his calling that God saw that he was responsible enough to be a, a king of a nation, and then God gave him a higher authority. So everyone under the sound of my voice, you all also have a calling. And you may think, you know, I haven't received a special revelation from the Lord, and that's fine. But you're still called to do something. And the Bible's very clear on this. Thankfully, he's given us his instruction manual. And his instruction manual tells us several things that he has already called you to do. So today, you're going to receive your calling. And it's going to be a very clear calling. And you don't need any, like, like how Pastor Richie says, any holy macaroni. The Bible's very clear and practical about, its, about what it says that you are called to. You're, like I said before, you're not called to just sit every single day and come to church on Sunday and check the box and then leave. No. You're called to play a part of his team. You're called for something greater. So what are you called to? And we're going to go down. Oh, but before we get to that, I want to share really quickly why it's important to know what your calling is. Because that's important too. Because if you don't know why it's important to have a calling, you would have heard today that you've got a calling and then, okay, but if you don't do it, then that's fine. No, you're called, you are made for something. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, happy is the man that follows his instruction, which means happy is the man that does the thing that God told him he's supposed to do. That's your calling. The Bible says in Psalm 128, 1 verse 6, it says that the Bible tells us how God that by doing the thing that God called us to do, by following his commands and following his instructions, it, sh it shows God that we love him. And when we show God that we love him in Psalms 128, verse 1, God begins to describe the things that happen to you when you show God that you're inclined to his ear and you're following what he says. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks according to their call. Next verse. It says, when you eat the labor of your hands, you're going to be happy, and it shall be well with you. Next verse. We're going to go to verse 6. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children are like olive plants all around your table. Next verse. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Verse 5. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Verse 6. Yes, you may see your children's children peace upon Israel. 
So when you fulfill the plan of God in your life, all of a sudden things start coming together. Right? You're going to feel satisfied. You're going to feel fulfilled because you're doing the thing that God created you for. And it's, it's, it, you'd, be, you'd be wrong to fight against that. Right? We don't have to go around and, and read. We could spend all day. If you go to the Old Testament, we could, the, we, we, this is a trustworthy saying, essentially, that not doing the thing that God called you to leads to a lot of uncomfortable situations that you put yourself in. Right? Because if you read the Old Testament, you'd think, wow, God's, God's an angry God. God does a lot of bad things when people don't listen. It's like, no, you are the one that put yourself in that place. Because God created you and designed you for a reason. If you don't do the thing that you're called to, you're not doing the thing that you're made for. You're going to be cursed, not because God's cursing you, but because you're not doing the thing that you're created for. I always share this example with my kids is that if, if God, if the person that created a bike created it for a special reason. He created it for us to be transported from one place to another. Now, if you were to look at a bike and you were a bike and you said, you know what, I don't want to be a bike, I want to be a table. You're like, dude, like, you could try to do that, but when someone's going to put a plate on you, you're just going to tip over. And you're going to be unfulfilled and unsatisfied because you're not a table. You're a bicycle. You go from one place to another, and it's an incredible thing, the bicycle. It's an incredible design. It's got a crazy-looking, you know, wheels and and pedals and it looks weird but it was created for something and it was created for something useful and likewise you look weird and you look awkward but you're created for something you're created for to fulfill God's special plan and design for you so if you fight against that you're going to be cursed not because of anything it's because you're not doing the thing that you were made for you're going to feel awkward you're going to feel weird but when you're doing the thing you're supposed to now that changes right I shared with the with the youth last week that there's, there's a thing that if, you're, if you've played a sport before if you've, or if you're good at what you do, there's a moment in that sport or, or in that task that you're doing that all of a sudden you're in this like flow state, right? If, I played basketball when I was younger and, every, and I still tried now. But there's a time when you're playing basketball and you're a, and you're a shooter that there's something happens. You have no idea what it is, but it just feels like whatever you shoot goes in the basket. And you could just throw it up and it's going to go in no matter what. You're, you, all the mechanics are just coming natural at that point. And it feels amazing. I, I, there's no word to describe it. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to in that moment. And everything you throw up goes in. And when you're doing the call and, the, and you're fulfilling the purpose that God put you uh, in, it feels the same way. You're doing the thing that God created you for. All of a sudden, all these blessings that it describes in Psalm 128 that we just read happen in your life. But even more so. When you understand your calling, all of a sudden you figure out that certain things start manifesting, incredible things. And we don't have time to read the whole chapter. I wish we did, but it's one of my favorite chapters. Hebrews chapter 11 is an incredible chapter. Hebrews chapter 11 is an incredible chapter because it's what a lot of Christians call is the chapter of the hall of faith. If you begin to read that chapter, all of a sudden you see all the different highlights of people that did incredible things for God. There's people like, it describes Moses and Abraham and, and Noah, incredible, incredible tasks that they did for God. And you start reading and wondering why it is that they were able to do those incredible things. And we're going to read it now in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. It says like this, what more can we say about these folks? For the time would fail me to, to even, it only shared only a couple of people. It didn't have enough space to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel the prophet. Next verse. We're going to go to verse 40. 
who through faith, look at what they were able to do. They subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness and they obtained the promise that they were given. They stopped the mouths of lions. Next verse. Quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword and out of weakness they were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to uh, flight the armies of the aliens. Next verse. Women received the dead, were raised back to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Next verse. verse we're going to jump to verse 38. It says, of whom the world was not worthy of. These, the Bible describes that these people were so special and they did exactly what they were supposed to do, that the way that the Bible describes these folks is that the world was not worthy of them. They were so special, they did exactly what they were supposed to do, and they, they received all these promises that God made for them because they were walking according to their calling. It means that God told them, hey, listen, after you do this thing, or by doing this thing, you're going to obtain a reward. Now, you don't see that right now, but if you continue walking according to your calling, that's what you're going to receive. And some people hear that and they say, well, I don't receive the reward right now. I don't want to do it. But, but if you don't want to do it, you wouldn't have received the reward that God has for you. These people put away, cast away all their thoughts, their, their, their own opinion of themselves, and they put all that to the side and they say, I'm going to follow what God told me to do. And because they did what God told them to do, they received all God's rewards. And not only that, they were able to do incredible things in this world because their plans, whatever they had plans, didn't even, didn't even come close to the crazy things that God wanted them to accomplish. You'd be a fool to say that you have a better idea of what you're going to do with your life than the creator of the universe. Right? The creator of the universe designed this whole thing a lot smarter than you and me. Right? So obviously, he knows what to do with your life a lot better than what you know what to do with your life. As a matter of fact, as we remember in Psalm 139, it says that God didn't just create you for creation's sake. It says that he spent time thinking about what you were going to be doing. He spent more time thinking about what you were going to be doing than what you spend thinking about yourself. And some of you guys are like, impossible, because you think about yourself often. But trust me, God loves you even more than you love yourself. And so we're going to read some of this stuff that God calls us to, and I hope that after today we would have a strong sense of what God's called us to. A strong sense, so that we can live our life with purpose. So we could live our life with meaning so that we'd be able to accomplish great and mighty things that God had prepared from the days before you were born. So let's go, if we could turn, we're going to turn now and start describing the th different things that God called us to. And the first thing that we ought to share today is that God called you out of something. And the thing that God called you out of is God called you out of darkness. And in 1 Peter 2.9 it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, a lot of times you would have heard this verse shared in church and you would have said, wow, that is a beautiful thing. That's a nice saying. I'm a royal nation, royal priesthood. That's some good stuff right there. But that's not just something that we share with church so that we could fill the, the church pews. That's not just a nice saying that we share with you guys. This, this verse actually means something. It means something more than just the verse that's being shared. It, 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 it's a call, it's an assignment for you to fulfill. 
Now you would have read this and it says you're called out of darkness and into marvelous light. And some of you guys may think, wow, the, why, why isn't the Bible so clear? What, what, is, what is darkness? What is light? Why, wouldn't it, why doesn't it share with us something clear of what that means? And the only reason you ask that is because you haven't spent time reading his word. Because there's very practical information the Bible shares that you're called into or called out of. If you go to Ephesians 4, verse 21, and I'm going to share a plethora of Bible verses today. Because as, if, you're, if, you've ever, uh, if you didn't, don't have a lot of information about what the legal field is like, every single word that you share or every single sentence that you state has to be cited to something. Things don't work if, if you go to a judge and say, judge, my client is innocent because I think so. It's like, that's not how this works. Stuff is, is rooted in the Bible. It's, it's, it's planted in the Bible. There's, there is evidence for the things that I'm saying here today. It says, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, next verse, we're going to go down to verse 32. So just follow me. That you put off concerning your former way of thinking. The old man which grew corrupt according to deceitful lusts. The Bible says in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, and that you put the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Right, the Bible describes that you're called out of this corrupt, dark way of life. And you're called into a, a way of light. And what that means is, verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are members of one body. Right? This isn't something that's just said. This is, this is very practical stuff. What does it mean to be called according to light? Well, it means that you ought to speak truth. Now, this is, this is very, a very curious thing, verse uh, Therefore, putting away lying to each other. This is a very curious thing because a lot of people think that, you know, this is uh, what we're supposed to do is not to lie. That's what we're supposed to do. But it doesn't say put off lying. It then gives a command that you're supposed to speak truth. A lot of the problems we're having in the world today is that we've got, we, there's an absence of people speaking truth. It's not just that people aren't lying anymore. It's that nobody, when somebody lies, no one calls them on it anymore. Because they're too worried and ashamed about what would happen to them if they speak to the truth. That's a problem. Because now we see how dark the world's gotten. There's no one sharing light. Right? And there's, there's a difference between sharing light in the way that Jesus shares light and sharing light in the way that people's like, all right, thank you very much. I don't want to hear from you ever again. Right? There's a way to do this type of stuff. But it doesn't say that just because it's difficult that you stop doing it. It says you must speak truth to your neighbor, for we are members of one body. So not only put away lying, but put on truth and speak truth. When you see something's out of order in, in, your, in your son's life, in your daughter's life, in your friend's life, your job is to, as a child of God, to shed light and say, hey, listen, this is the way that it's supposed to go. And the, things that, the thing that Christians do these days, they didn't necessarily do them before. At least I, didn't, I wasn't alive before, so I wouldn't be able to share what they did before. But Christians do this type of thing that, that drives me super crazy. Is they do this. I don't think that that's the right way to do things. It's like there's a, there's a man dressed as a woman. It's like I don't think that that's the right way. It's, like, it's not that you don't think. It's that it's not the right way. It's not your opinion. It's the truth. And people suffer because you haven't shared the truth. 
And so when so, there's a child that's misbehaving and they're, they're, they're lying, they're hitting somebody, and you're like, I, I, it's funny, I don't think that that's the way that a child should behave. It's like, no, it's not that it's not funny that you don't think, it's like that's not how a child should behave. If you're, there's someone that's being dishonest, if there's someone's lying, I don't agree with what that person did. It's like, why don't you agree? It's not in a, if it's based in truth, it's not your opinion that you don't agree. Who cares about your opinion? Everyone's got one. It's what does the truth say? The truth says something very specifically. It says this is how it is. There's no gray area in, in certain things. There's no gray area in thou shalt not lie. There's no gray area in standing for truth. There is what it says. And when you're walking according to your calling, you have boldness in the way that you say it. And that's what the people in Hebrews chapter 11 did. If you, or the people in the Old Testament, we've read stories like the, in the book of Esther where things were done incorrectly, they were done wrongly, and despite what she felt like during that moment, she knew that her people were going to suffer tremendously if she didn't speak up, and she walked with boldness because she knew what her calling was, she knew what she was called for, she understood her instruction, and so she walked into the king's palace not fearing that she was going to die because she knew that God wanted her to be right there at that moment. And that's what happens when you have your calling. That's what happens when you understand your calling. Is regardless of the place that you're in, when you're walking according to your calling, you know that the consequences of what happens don't affect you because that's what you're called to do. So regardless of what suffering is going to come from that, that's what you're called to do. And this life is temporary. If you know who Jesus is and if you understand the Bible and you believe it truthfully, what happens to you in this world doesn't affect you. You're walking with purpose. You're walking with authority. You come not as Josh Molina, but as somebody that has a message from God. A messenger of God that needs to share the word of God because the people, the people need it. And if God made me for that purpose, and regardless of what happens to me, I'm supposed to do that thing. And while I do that thing, all of a sudden I could do an even more incredible things than what I think, but also I'm going to be blessed for it. Because that's what God designed me for. So don't only put away lying. It says, let one another speak truth says neighbor for we are members of one another next verse it says uh be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath next verse nor give place to the devil nor give place to the devil in, in genesis it talks about the story of cain and abel and the story of cain and abel is kind of crazy because that the the story is extremely short it's very short and, and in the story of Cain and Abel, there's an incredible thing that happens that all of a sudden Cain offers his sacrifice. And Abel offers his sacrifice. And God looks at the sacrifice and he says, listen, um, Cain, this is not what is required of you. You're required to give something else. He's upset. He gets jealous that his brother's sacrifice was accepted. And God tells him something. He says, Cain, don't be upset. Don't give, a, don't give a place to the devil because you don't know that the devil or sin is crouching at your door and its purpose is to take you out. Right? This thing isn't a joke. It's not, it's not a funny thing. If you give the foothold to the devil, all of a sudden he's, you give him an entrance to, the, to your house. When I was younger and I was playing with, with, my, with my brothers, something would always happen that we're, you know, we're boys. We're, we're fooling around. We're messing around. Someone always takes it a little step too far. And when you take it a little step too far, now you're, now you're incredible. So what Brandon would do is that Brandon's a lot smaller than me. And Brandon, Brandon would take it a step too far. And now, I was, when I was younger, I was 160 pounds at like 12 years old. Brandon was like 90, maybe. And so when Brandon would hit me a little bit too hard, now it's all bets are off. Game over. Brandon's going to die. 
And so Brandon was faster than me, and so he would run extremely fast into, you know, uh, uh, somebody's room. So I couldn't get in. And he'd run and shut the door fast as he could. If I was able to just get there a little bit quickly than I would normally get there, and I stuck a foot on the entrance of the door, I'd be able to squeeze my rotund body into the room. And if I was able to get into the room, then all of a sudden, all bets are off. Brandon's dead. <laughs> but all I needed, I didn't need to get my whole body through the door. I didn't need to get my whole arm through the door. I didn't need to get, you know, half my body. All I needed was a little foot to land in the little crack, a little piece. And when that was done, all of a sudden, all bets are off. I could get in the room. In the same way, if you give a little place to the devil, if you give a little place to sin, a little place, not a big place, just a little place, all of a sudden, all bets are off. The devil's got a grasp on you. And little by little, he's going to start pulling that string and pulling that string. And just like a, a, a thread on a sweater, the more he pulls, the more he pulls, all of a sudden, there's no more sweater. Don't give a foothold to the devil, the Bible says. You're called out of darkness and into light. Next verse. It says, it says like this, let he... Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands with something that is good. And, may have so, and may, he may have something to give whom, uh, who has a need. Let's keep going. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good. Necessary for edification, that it may impact grace to the hearers. There's something that's going around today is that people no longer know how to share an encouraging word to people. Even when someone does something good, what you have to say is, you, you, what the, for, the, for the young folk, for some of you older, I'm going to give you some insight. It's called a roast, right? You roast somebody. Somebody does something, you roast them. You make fun of what they just did. And now there's no more encouragement. Someone does something good, you're like, you don't even mention it. They do something bad, you're ready to jump on them and pile on. Nobody's edifying anymore. When you're called into light, you carry something else. You carry something greater than just you know, what you would have done in the past. You carry an encouraging word. And people need it these days. There's, you could tell that there's a drought of, of people hearing you know, that they're worthy of something. And you could tell by the way that they, they comport themselves, the way that they dress, the way that they act, they don't think they're good for anything. They've never heard somebody tell them that they're more than just an object to be made fun of. And that's your job. You are called to that. It's not that you don't need a special revelation. You don't need to hear God. You know, there's, there's this person that said, I was, I was uh, talking to somebody, and they said that they didn't feel that they were called to do something like go to church. I'm like, that's not something you have to wait for God to reveal to you in a special dream. Right? He's got his word. God, God says very plainly these things. God says plainly, let no word, corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That's not just thou shalt not curse and say bad words. It's also thou shalt give a good, encouraging word to people. You're called into light. Necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So that it would be a sweet thing for somebody to hear in a world that no longer shares anything gracious to anybody. Next verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Next verse. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you 
with all malice. Take away all that. It's not good looking. Take away the bitterness. It doesn't look good on you. It's an ugly dress. It's an ugly shirt. Take it off. You'll find that when you're in church, it's an occasion for people to say things to you that, that sting a little bit harder than a normal person would say it. If you've been at church for any amount of time, for longer than a couple days, church is a, is a great place to get offended. Great place. People say some crazy things at church. <laughs> crazy. There was a time, the first, so this, this is my first Sunday service that I've ever shared, but the first Wednesday service, and this has been my only Wednesday service that I shared. I remember that I was in, uh, I was in law school at the time. It was during finals week, and if you'd been in law school, if you, I'm just going to give you a little hint of what it's like. Law school, they give you a lot of assignment, a lot of reading assignment, and you're trying to catch up, and you're trying to barely breathe, and they keep on piling more and more reading assignments all throughout the semester. But you have one test, only one test in law school, and you're graded based on how other people do. So you may have what you think is an A-plus you know, test submission, but if somebody else is just a little bit better than you, you could go from an A-plus to a C. You're being constantly compared to somebody else's work. And so you only have one test you, at the end of the semester. And, so as you can, and all your tests are at the end of the semester. So as you can imagine, that's a very stressful time for a lot of law students. Because they're trying to catch up. You're, you're graded on the entirety of the thousands of pages you were given throughout the semester. And now you're trying to put it curated and put it all together and try to remember as much as you can on a whole law book, which could be this thick, that you've read. And so during that time, similar to this time, my dad calls me out of the blue and says, hey, you're up for Wednesday. I'm like, geez, all right, great. I was at the library all day studying, and I had to come up with, with, with a word that God gave me to share with the church. And I put it together, and I shared it with the church, and it was the first time that I had ever shared. And I was, after I was done, I went outside, and a lady came up to me, and she said, wow, incredible word. You're not very articulate, though. I'm like... <laughs> Why? Why? Did it, was it necessary? No. Did you need to say it? No. And I could, I've, obviously, I still have some work to do because it still, it still stings a little bit. But, but as, as somebody that's called out of darkness, you're called to get this, all this stuff out of your life. Put it away. Next verse, verse 32. And be kind to one another. She needed that. But I need this next part, forgiving one another, even as God forgave you. I want to highlight something in this verse, though. And I've kind of been doing it as I've been going along. It's not only that you're called out of something. It says that you're called into something. And if you would have read 1 Peter 2.9 like we shared, it said something very special. It says that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Right? That, that's something that's... that's you know, that's a high call. That, that's special. And then it says in Galatians 4, 7, it says, so you're no longer a slave, but you're a child of God. And since you're his child, God also made you an heir. Okay, that's, that's crazy. Right? We just saw a little bit of, of uh, recently the Queen of, Eng the Queen of England died, and so it was back on TV, the, the, the royal family. And you see kind of how they have to comport themselves, how they have to dress, and how they have to walk. You know, to be an heir of that throne, that's incredible. You're, you're an heir of a kingdom, right? 
incredible riches, but also incredible authority. It says in Ephesians 4.1, then it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling which you were called. Now, that means a lot more now. Because that's, we read a lot of thou shalt nots and don't and put away evil speaking and don't lie and don't. But this means something else. It means that you're called to be a member of the royal family. And the royal family that you've been called to is not the Queen of England. It's not you're, you're, the, you're the royal family of the United Kingdom. You're called to be an heir of the throne of the creator of the universe. That means a lot. It means a lot, a lot. So I'll give you an example. I was born under the house of Joaquin Molina. That means something. It doesn't mean nothing. It means something. It means that when I would, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, things are different or whatever, but I had, we had a group of neighbors, Chris and Alex, and we loved hanging out with Chris and Alex. They were our same age. Me and my brothers we were 12, 11, and 10. Chris and Alex were 13 and 11. So we're all around the same age. They, they lived in the house right next to us. And so we'd spent all our days, as soon as we got home from school, directly to Chris and Alex's house, knocking the door. Hello, Mr. Vega, Mrs. Vega, are Chris and Alex available to play? Sure enough, they would come out and we'd spend the whole day, the whole night playing together. They would go back to their bed. During summers, all day, every day. Coming up with games, coming up with different things to do to fill up our days. We had a big backyard, we would come up with crazy games. But sure enough, there were times when we wanted, Chris and Alex would go to their parents and say, hey, we want to go to the park that's across the street. And Chris and Alex's mom and dad would say, sure, you could go across the street to play. We would go to our parents and say, hey, mom and dad, can we go across the street to play? And they would say, no, you're not playing across the street. Not that it was bad or whatever. And sure enough, if you tell your kid, hey, and they've already got friends whose parents let them do something, the first thing that would come out of our mouths is the same, as the, the same thing that probably comes out of your kid's life. Uh, out of your kid's mouth is, wait a second, but Chris and Alex's mom lets them play in the park, and the response that my parents gave is probably the same response that your parents gave you and the same response that you tell your kids. I'm not Chris and Alex's mom. <laughs> I am your mom and dad. And so there's different rules and different instructions in the, within each house to comport yourself in different ways. In my house, we weren't allowed to do something silly like we weren't allowed to play football. We were allowed to play flag football, but not with pads. And we weren't allowed to watch certain movies, and we weren't allowed to watch certain things. And then when we came to church, we had to dress a certain way. When we spoke, we had to speak a certain way. We were heirs, children of the Molina household. You guys are co-heirs of Christ. That carries weight. It carries something different. Some of us get upset because our pastor, when we come to this door, he tells us, hey, tuck in your shirt. Hey, don't wear ripped clothing. Men, don't wear earrings. Put your hat on straight. Women, comport yourself in a, in a proper manner. And we fight against us. Come on, what's going on? For God's sake, my dad, when people come into his office, your children come into my dad's office to ask for a lollipop, he says, tuck in your shirt. And you're like, he's a kid. Like, what? why does he have to tuck into your shirt? Well, because my dad is seeing something that maybe you're not seeing. What my dad is seeing is that that kid is being groomed to be a prince of the king of kings, of the, the creational world. And you also are being groomed in that same way. So now you don't see the rules that God gave you as something like as a prisoner would see it as, a, I'm restricted, I can't steal. I'm restricted, I can't do certain things, I can't drive over the speed. Like, what is this? 
It's like, no, those authorities and those regulations are what gives you the authority to rule. And what my dad does is he says, as a pastor of this church, he says, hey, dress a certain way. Why? Because he's showing you that you're supposed to walk according to the call that you've been given. You're not called to wear ripped clothing. Why? Not because the God is mean or God is, it's because you're royalty. You're supposed to look like you're put together because when you speak, people are supposed to listen. When you speak, you're supposed to carry authority, honor, respect. It's supposed to mean something when you say something. It doesn't matter what Joe Schmo says about the dolphins. That's nonsense. When you speak with the authority of God's word, it's supposed to carry weight. Are you walking according to your calling? Are you dressing a certain way? Are you comporting your, is your behavior in such a manner that when you speak, people listen? Or have you been acting a fool and when you speak, it doesn't mean anything? This guy says, you know, this thing. This guy says the other thing. This guy's always saying something. He's always got an opinion on something. Or have you carried yourself in such a way that when you speak, people listen? When you share the word of God with somebody, they don't just say, this is just some crazy guy saying some crazy thing. No, this is a man of God speaking with the authority of the things of God's word, which is not just God's word, it's, it's truth. It's something real, and it's not fugazi language. It's not like this Bible says, like, you're a royal nation, a royal priesthood, and you carry that, and you're like, yes. It's like, no, that, that, that means something more. It's a call to something. It's not a call to just continue your behavior. It's a call to rise above what your thoughts and what your opinions are of yourself. Carry yourself with dignity, with respect, with honor. Speak with authority, with boldness. You come with, you come with something more special. When I go into my dad's office, it's not, my dad doesn't kick me out. I belong there. I belong in that place that's a special place. When I go into my, not everybody's allowed into my parents' master bedroom. Not everybody. If you went into my mom's and dad's master bedroom when you were invited to our house, we'd be like, what the heck are you doing in there? Right? You don't belong there. But when you're a child of God, when you're a child of your parents, it carries a, a sort of respect and honor. It, it creates an intimacy. You're allowed to come into a place where you're allowed to ask from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords certain things, and those certain things are given to you. They're granted to you. You're an heir like Christ is an heir. You're called to royalty. You're called to be something else. Not only are you called into royalty, but the God also gives special callings for people like you and me today, specific callings, a specific instruction. If you, were been on, if you would have heard this message or you're hearing this message now and you're like, well, you know, I'm an older man or an older woman. I don't, calling doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Uh, that's something more for kids. Like you tell the kid like, oh, I want to be an astronaut when I grow up and he still has life to live and so he can be an astronaut maybe potentially. No, but the Bible has specific calling for you even as an older man. In Titus 2.2, it says older men, right? This is not just something that Josh thinks it's cool for older men to do. It says specifically, older men, you're called to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. That's a specific call. It's not something that you have to hear from God to reveal to you in divine revelation. It's in his instruction manual for your life. You're called to be sober-minded, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. In other words, you're called also, like I just shared, to carry with you a certain amount of respect. The way that you comport yourself is supposed to show other people that when you speak, it matters. 
You're supposed to be patient in love, temperate, reverent. Not just being that, that you know, the, the idea that I get when I read this verse is like that, that weird uncle that you have that just says some crazy things and when he talks, you're like, dude, this is my crazy deal. I'm sorry, I don't know what he's doing. It is what it is. No. It says that you're supposed to be sober. Speak with, with a purpose. Say something with meaning. Instruct people in the way that they need to be instructed. You've got a role. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you're still alive, your role is still this. It hasn't ended. You're not done. There's no retiring from this stuff. This is your call. You're still called to do this stuff. As a young man, you're also called to something. It says in Titus 2.6, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Right? There's a call for older men to exhort the young men to be just like them. Right? It's not just be sober-minded for being sober-minded's sake, but your sober-mindedness is supposed to reflect off of you and reflect onto somebody else. So they're the same way. How are you comporting yourself? Is a way, would you want somebody to act like how you would act? Well, the Bible says that you're called to be sober-minded and your sober-mindedness should be bouncing off of somebody else so that it shines also in sober-mindedness. Verse 7. It says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Next verse. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Live in such a way that people see you as an example. There's There's a verse in Timothy that says, young men, you're supposed to be an example to the older men. So it's not only that you're supposed to live in a way and, and just seeing how someone's behaving and it reflect off of you. And no, it, it calls you to something greater. If you have nobody to teach you, it also says that as a young man, you're supposed to live as an example to the older men. But women, you also have a call. It's not just a call for, for men. There's a call for women. And it says in Titus 2 verse 3, and we're going to go to verse 5. It says, older women, likewise be reverent in your behavior, not slanderers, not giving up to too much wine, teachers of good things. Your job in church is not to be a gossip. Your job in your house is not to be a gossip. It's not just to spend your days thinking about something to say and to just to chew out or to, to mess around with people. There's, there's a thing that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be a teacher of good things. Your role in the church is not to sit in the back of the chairs and just let the men handle all the things that men do. You've got a role to play in this. You've got a calling. And if you would have gone to church all your whole life and done nothing with that calling, you're not doing the thing that God called you to. How can he say, well done, good and faithful servant? You haven't done anything. You're not good and you're not faithful. You've literally done nothing. Right? No, you've got a calling. And you've got a calling to fulfill. It's not just an assignment from the, from, that you read and then you're, okay, I guess that's good. No, it's, you're supposed to do these things. Next verse. Verse 4. That they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Next verse. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And now, what, what are you supposed to teach? Aside from all this you know, specific instruction, where are you supposed to go? And I, I, 
I remember, I shared with you guys today that you're called to be a member of the royal family. You're called to that. So as an older woman, you're called to teach young women to be a wife or to be a mother of somebody that's going to raise or be a, a, a queen in a royal household. And in Proverbs 31, it literally says just that. Proverbs 31 is an instruction from an older woman that is the mom of a king instructing a young man that the person that he's supposed to look for in a wife is a queen and then it describes all the characteristics of what a queen is supposed to look like that's what you're supposed to teach proverbs 31 verse 1 i'm not just making this up it says the words of king lemuel the utterance which was what his mother had taught him right this is literally you know biblically based this is not just nice platitudes that we're sharing with you this sunday morning there's literal instruction of how you're supposed to raise your daughter and how to, to walk as a member of the royal family. And as an older woman of the church, that's your role, which would require for you to have read that. It would have required for you to have understood it, synthesized it, so that you could share it to somebody that's younger than you. It says, these are the words of King Lemuel's mother. And then when it starts describing things, you would have heard sometimes in church that women don't have a role in a lot of different things. But when you see the, the description of this virtuous woman that is described in Proverbs 31, she is not fooling around. She is going to work. She's got a lot of things that she's got to accomplish, a lot of tasks. Not because she's just a, another member of society just, you know, floating by. She's got a job and assignment to do. And she's out in the field and she's out in business, working business, but she's also with her family and making sure that there's a, an environment of righteousness within her home. She's making sure that her husband's refreshed. She's making sure that her kids are in order and she's doing a, a million things. You'd be crazy to say that as a woman you have no role. Crazy. You've got a huge one. And, and it's not something that, you know, you've got a large role that you've got to accomplish and fulfill. And if you don't do these things, then you're showing you're not going to receive the blessing that God has for you. You're withholding the blessing potentially from what God wants to give to your family. It says in Proverbs 31, if we continue reading it, then, then describes Proverbs 31, 29. This is the standard. It's so that many daughters have done well, but this person that I raised, that I instructed, she exceel, exceeded them all. She excelled at what the, 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 the normal standard was. I shared with you that as, as a Molina, you're, you're, you're required to do certain things. You're given a list of careers that you're supposed to choose from. Pursue them. And with all that you can, that's what you're supposed to do. But dad, I want to do this. Well, this is, what you're, this is what we're doing. These are what Molinas do. And in, in, those, in those jobs that we've been given, we're not called to just be another peg on the, on the board, another, another employee that just does what employees do, do their job and get out of there. We're called to be a leader within our workplace. That's how we were raised. And so maybe that's not how the Garcias were raised. That's maybe not how the Rodriguez, Smiths, whatever. That's how I was raised, so I have to live according to that call that my parents have called me to. But now, something else. Because now it's not just Molina for Molina's sake. I'm also called to be a child of God. So I'm supposed to live my life and comport myself in such a way that I excel them all. I am excelling. I am exceeding the expectation of just a normal person. 
Because I'm not a normal person. I was raised in a royal family. I'm something more than that. I'm, I'm called to have authority. I'm called to speak and for people to listen. I'm called for something greater. You as well are called for something greater. And it's not just to be average. As a husband, you have a call. As a husband, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water in the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Without spot, without wrinkle, but holy. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. What's going on in this verse, it would have required for you to spend some time at church. And like I shared before, the only way that you would know how to love your wife as Christ loved the church is you would have to be a member of the church. And not just somebody that takes a space on the pew, but someone that actually works and and does ministry at the church. Because like I said, there's nothing like like showing love to somebody in church that for sure doesn't deserve it. And that's what church has a lot of times in it. A lot of people that don't deserve any love. And you're there spending your time and spending your energy trying to get this person to the call that God has called them. And you see something great in them. And then they do something crazy. They, they talk bad about you. They, they spit in your face. They do crazy things. And you're like, dude, what the heck? I don't just do this stuff because I feel like I, I, I need to love you. Like, I don't just do this stuff because, you know, I'm called to this. I'm doing, going out of my way to show you love and appreciation. And yet, you don't, there's no reciprocation of that. But that's, that doesn't matter when you're in, in, in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter when you're, when you're a member. Of the, you don't do this to, to, get, to receive love back. It's what you're called to do. It's not based on feeling. I didn't feel like preaching today. I didn't feel like moving to Boca. I didn't feel like being a youth pastor for five years and all my Friday nights going away. I didn't feel like going every single day. That's not something I felt, but it's something I did. Why? That's my calling. That's what I was called to do. Feelings, feelings don't have, if, if a lot of times you come to church and a lot of people have spiritual experiences and a lot of times they, they're moved by emotion. And if they're not moved by, if they go to, to worship and they're not feeling the music, they're not feeling it, then they don't worship. They talk to somebody else. They're not feeling, you know, to, I don't feel like serving today. I don't feel like going to church today. Like, this is not what you feel. <laughs> right? Because if you didn't feel like going to work, you wouldn't have any money. If you didn't feel like if you were a boxer and you didn't feel like fighting on a day you were scheduled to fight, you get knocked out. That's what happens. It's not based on feeling. It's, it's, it's something greater than feeling. It, 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 it's something more foundational than feeling. It's something more firm, than, more stable than feeling. It's what you're called to. And what it means that you're called to is you're... you're Regardless of whether you feel good or feel bad that day, that's what you're assigned to do for the day, and you could do greater things when you don't feel like doing things. If you've ever been, if there's, if you're trying to lose weight, there's a lot of days that you don't feel like going to the gym, and you feel like having as many donuts as you want, and you feel like eating ice cream on the way home and getting McFlurries and getting Sundays, and that you feel like it. I always feel like eating a donut. Always. There's never one time, even when I'm full, if someone presents a donut, I feel like eating it. But if I ate it every single time that I felt like eating it, I'd be massive, huge. I wouldn't be able to walk in the morning. But I f- don't do things based on feeling. I do things based on the authority that I've been giving, the call that I've given. And so because of that, I'm able to do greater things. 
Don't base your, your call on your feeling or on a, a spiritual experience. There's something practical that God has given us for us to fulfill and for us to accomplish. And you're called to do it. It says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. It means that regardless of whether you're feeling like it that day, you're called to put your feelings aside and to serve your wife, to make her look more special than when you brought her in. That's what you're called to. But wives, you're also called to something. And what you're called to is to submit yourselves in verse 22 to your husbands as you would the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the body, for which he is a savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to your husbands and everything. And a lot of times we read this verse in church and women would, would get offended that this is the thing that God called them to. They called to a life of submission. But it's not a, a call to submission because God felt like, you know, that's what you're called to. If you don't follow the hierarchy or the, the authority that God has given us and described in the word, your life and your marriage is not going to be as prosperous as the way that God intended. Why? That's the way that God made it. And we could fight and tooth and nail, but you're just not going to receive the blessings that God designed the thing for. In my, in, my, uh, in my athletic career, my short athletic career in high school, we had a, a basketball team and we had a lot of good players, a lot of them. And some of them had a lot of good, they had equal talent. And what, unfortunately, what happened in our team is that none of the, all the players were competing for first place. And they were competing to be the best. And they were competing and competing. It's like nobody was willing to put their pride aside and to drop it a little bit for the good of the team. And because of that, our team suffered crazy losses we should have never uh, suffered from. If, there's, if God didn't establish this, this, this order, there would be a constant fighting and bickering and people trying to compete with other people. And that's what happens in a lot of marriages. People competing with people, people competing with people, and your family suffers because of it. It doesn't progress. Your kids don't reach their full potential because when they see their parents' lives, they're constantly fighting about who did what and what did the other thing. But the authority is that the husband submits to God, and insofar as he submits to God, the wife submits to the, the husband. That's the covenant that they created. So husbands, you also are in a call of submission. Your submission is unto God. And your wife is supposed to feel comforted in the fact and knowing that, hey, this person is following God's lead. And if you're following God's lead, your wife can be secure in knowing that you're going to reach the potential that God has for your family. You're called to that. And wives, support your husbands in that call. Encourage him to that call for your benefit. For your family's success. If you're fighting against God's established order, you're, not, you're going to be like that bicycle I talked about earlier that's fighting and complaining that it's not a table. It's like, dude, ridiculous. That's not what you were made for. If God would have designed you to be a table, he would have created pegs and made you to be a table, but that's not what you are, right? This is not, it's not something that we have to fight against. God establishes clearly. We follow that. That's our, we're going to live the blessed life that God has for us. We fight against it. We're, it would be a curse that we place on ourselves because God didn't create you to be the head of the household. But men, you also were called to be the head of the household, which means you're, you've got to rise up to that call. If your wife feels insecure about it, that's on you. It's your job to say, hey, this is what's going to happen. It's not to, to speak with the authority that God has called you to. This is the direction of my family for this time. And it's not that you, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak with too much authority of this because obviously I'm not married, but that's a, I could speak with authority of this because that's the way that God described it in his word. So it's not that I'm sorry, it's that, that's what the truth is.
God called you to be an authority, not an authority figure, I'm sorry, but God called you to direct and lead your, your household. Wives, you're called to support in that, in that calling, and in that, your family would be successful. And in the same way, as a parent, you're called to discipline your children. That means that when your child leaves your house, they would have carried with them the, the, the grace and the dignity, or the, the, they would have carried the righteousness that you curated within your own home. It's not, this is going to be a newsflash to a lot of you. And I'm speaking with authority on this for sure, because I'm the youth pastor at this church. My job, job of Brandon, and the job of Nick, the job of all the pastors in this church is not to raise your child. It's not. The job of your teachers is not to raise your child. That is on you. You are called to raise your children. You are called not only to have your children, but to discipline them. The Bible says that if you don't discipline your children, watch what happens. Proverbs 19:18. It says, discipline their ch- your child when they are young enough to learn. If you don't, you are helping them destroy themselves, in this verse says. Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. If you don't discipline your child, your child is going gonna, gonna to lead to your child's destruction. And that's not the job of the pastors. The job of the pastors is to instruct your child outside of your home so that when you go back home, you could say, hey, you see, I'm not crazy. This thing is real. Look at this person. He did it, and look at how his life is. That's your job. But your job is to discipline your child insofar that people, when they see him, it's not a, a, a time like, oh, there, there comes that kid. It's a time of refreshing. Kids are supposed to serve as a refreshing, as a refreshment. Look at his youth. Look how much, look how much energy he has. And for the church, it's the same way. When we see children worshiping God, it's supposed to serve as our encouragement that, look, that is something so pure and honest. This kid loves God, and he's doing it energetically and enthusiastically, and it serves as a refreshing to the church. You don't do that to your children. That child's not doing that at church. That kid's running around serving as a distraction to the church, and not only your house suffers, but also the church suffers. You're called to discipline your children. It says Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your child to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Some of you guys have some work to do. Because some of you guys, the way that you've treated your children or the way that you've raised your children is you said, as I say, not as I do. And now when you tell your child that he's supposed to do X, Y, and Z, they don't respect you, they don't listen to you, and you're like, this kid is just, I give up. It's like, whose job was that? Yours. Your job was to raise him so that he has respect or she has respect for when you say something. So now it's your job to go back home and to start implementing the things you want to see in your child in your own life. And maybe that stuff will reflect off of you and he'll pick up on some of those new characteristics that you've put on. You've put off darkness and you've put on light. You've now are in, you are called to instruct your child in the way that he should go. But you've implemented that in your own life. And then all of a sudden, you start rebuilding that trust that you lost in your children's life. Because guess what? After today, if you've not been living the life that you were supposed to live, and you, were, you tell your child today, hey, see what Josh says? You got to do it. And then you go, you're a fool. It's like, that's not going to do anything. It's going to do nothing. He's going to think that what I'm saying, or she's going to think that what I'm saying is a joke. And a lot of children today don't have respect for their leaders and their pastors because their parents are frequent churchgoers but they don't implement the stuff that they learn at church in their homes. So guess what? Everybody thinks church is a joke, and this is a circus we're running, and it's not. And it's to your kid's detriment. 
This is a serious place. It carries with it honor and authority. This office of a pastor, the office of a bishop, carries with it authority. Authority given from God. Not authority that we sought for ourselves, and we're going to share that in a moment, and we've got to go quickly. But this is, they're supposed to give the respect to the leaders as they would give unto God, because that's the person that God appointed in that moment today. I can assure you that my dad shared it before. I don't think that any of the pastors, maybe Nick, because he's special, he's perfect. But <laughs> I don't think that anybody, and I'm joking. He's as close as you're going to get, though. Uh, the, the pastors of this church didn't go out seeking to be a pastor. I didn't feel called to be a pastor. I didn't feel, I literally was, was literally called and said, hey, Josh, you're a pastor today. That's how it happened. I didn't seek it out. I didn't look for it. It just happened. And the same way God has different callings for your life that as you implement the little things that he tells you, all of a sudden the, you're, you're, you're given more responsibility because you've shown yourself approved. And that's how this thing works. Parents, you're supposed to discipline your children. Children, the Bible says it clearly. It says that, you know, this is not something that we necessarily have to turn to because we all know it. It says, honor your, ch honor your parents, obey your parents in the Lord. Show them honor. It's in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What does it mean to honor somebody? What does it mean to show them, to, to, to honor them? It means to value what they say. Give weight to the things and give weight to their opinions. How do you show your parents honor? Is you show them that what they say to you means something to you. There's something, there's, it's not just like if a friend were to give you an opinion and say, hey, I think that you should part your hair one way and not the other. No, but when your dad or your mom says it, it should carry something special. And regardless, with, with something silly like that, for example, for a long time, uh, you know, if, if you're a member of the Molina household, at a certain point, you're not follically blessed. <laughs> at some point, it starts to go on you, unfortunately. But fortunately, Right? And so for a long time, I was losing my hair, and I was like, man, this is, I, I want to take it all off because it, I don't think that it looks, it would look better a certain way. And my dad said, I, I don't want you to do that. That is, and, you know, forgive me for this, that is one of the dumbest things that I've ever heard at that point, I thought. You saw all the qualifying language as a lawyer you have to use. <laughs> I was like, why, why does that even matter? Why does that make sense? In my, in my mind, it, at to this day, I'm going to be, you know, I've always said that when I share, I'm always going to speak out of transparency and out of genuineness. To this day, I still don't understand why, that, why he told me that. It doesn't make any sense. But I waited until the moment where he gave, granted me, he said, okay, you can try it. And waited years, two, three years, where people were like, dude, just cut off. I was like, I know, dude, I want to. What do you want me to do? <laughs> but I wouldn't do it. Why aren't you doing it? I'm showing my dad that I honor him. It, it doesn't make sense. I value his opinion. And in the same way, your mom and your dad or your parents, even if you're old, may have an opinion on something. Your job is to show them honor. Show them that they still matter. Even if they're old, they still their opinion still carries weight. And sometimes they'll tell you something, and for your home it doesn't work. But at least show them that you're listening and that you care about what they're saying. So they don't feel like they're just another person sharing an opinion, but they have some, they, they raised you. At the very least, they're the reason why you're alive today, and you have to show them something for that. Show them that they matter in your life. 
Give them, give their opinion weight when they share it. You're called to that. The Bible says that it'll go well with you. Why? Why does it go well with you? Well, because you're doing exactly what God called you for. You're, 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 you're in the place where God designed you to be. So because you're in that place, you're being used in the way that God manufactured you. That God spent time thinking about how you would live the best life. It says he spent days thinking about how you were going to be created and what you were going to do. And he didn't just create you. Then he spent time thinking about what this person is going to do on September 16th, September 17th of 2022, September 18th, this person is going to do this. And I'm going to make him for that. And then he's going to complete this. And then he's going to fulfill it. He spent time designing you. If you fight against that design, you're not going to function properly. I would, I would encourage you today to walk according to that calling. As a member of the body of Christ, you're called to maintain unity. That is tough at church, like I said. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.10, Appeal to your brothers by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Church is not only an occasion where people offend you, but it's also an occasion to tell other people that somebody offended you. Right? Somebody told you and mistreated you and, and told you something that was off, so now you can't just hold that and, and, and brush off the offense. Now you got to tell everybody. Bro, that person... Can you believe what that guy told me? Listen to what he told me. This guy said this. That sometimes pastors will share something to somebody and they'll say, dude, guess what pastor whatever told me? Guess, and maybe they're human. Maybe they, they were out of line and they told you something that maybe disrespected you. Maybe. Your job is to maintain unity of the church and to look off the offense. What? Look off the offense of a Yeah. But this, this person is a person. Your job is to, if they're telling you something, it's because they, show, they, they want to show you that they love you, number one, and they care to get out of their way to, to say, hey, listen, I'm seeing this in your life. This seems out of order to me. At the very least, the Bible says you're supposed to give leaders of the church double honor. So it's more honor than you give your parents. What does that mean? You show them doubly that you value their opinion. And part of that is maintaining unity of the church, that when someone says something offensive to you, and it was out of line and out of pocket, and it's something that you don't believe should be addressed, you shouldn't have been addressed in that way. Your job as a member of the church, as a child of God, is to maintain unity and try to understand what that person's saying. And I'll give you an example. And my, like I said, me and my brothers and my sister were raised in the household of a Molina. And what that means is that Molinas say things, have a certain way of saying certain things sometimes. Right? They don't always say things with expressing the amount of love that you would have wanted to have been expressed to you. It would have been shared with you in a very strong and a stern manner. And sometimes it is cause for an offense. Right? My dad has told me and my brothers and my sisters things that, we've, that we thought are out of line, incorrect. Shouldn't address me that way. I'm Josh. I went to school after all. I'm an attorney. Come on. Talk to me with a certain manner. Right? And my dad would instruct me in a certain way, in the way that he said it. If I wasn't a son and he would have told me in that way, my immediate opinion would be to do that type of thing that I talked about earlier. So disunity. Guess what my dad told me in the manner that he told me? Guess, my dad told me, guess what he told me? He said I was good for nothing. Can you believe that? Dude, I can't believe your dad told you that. I know. What's going on here? My job as a son is something else. My job as a son is that when my dad speaks to me and instructs me in a certain way, regardless of how he tells me, 
My job is to do like how David did, is I'm trying to understand what my dad's heart is. What is he saying? What is he trying to say? Not the manner he told me was disrespectful, so I'm going to disregard and say that, you know, it doesn't matter. No, what is he trying to tell me? I'm trying to understand, and when somebody says, if anybody around me says something that's, you know, something about my dad that's out of line or out of pocket, my job is to call them out on it and say, hey, what's going on here? That's my dad. You know, I'm, I cover his wrongs. When he speaks to me, I try to find what he's trying to tell me, not in the manner that he's saying, but in, in the way that his heart is. Why can't I do that? Well, because I know what my dad is. I know who my dad is in my life. In my life, I've always sh I've shared this example to the youth. There was a time that I had just gone into law school, and I was just, you know, hanging out, uh, getting things in order, getting some supplies. I had a laptop. It was a good laptop. It was a MacBook Pro. worked great. It was just a couple years old. It worked great. One day I get into my room. I was about to start law school, and all of a sudden I see on my bed a brand new MacBook Pro, brand new, of the year. And I looked at it, and I'm like, what the heck is this? I didn't need that. I didn't want it. It's nice to have it, but I don't, I, that's not a necessity for, my, for me right now. And I went to my dad. I said, Dad, what's going on here? What is this? He said, well, it's a laptop. I know you started law school, and so I wanted to get you a new laptop. I didn't need a new laptop, but a good dad sees, wants the best for his children and does whatever he can to get the best for his child, whatever is in his capacity. So when my dad tells me something, I see it through that lens. My dad wants what's best for me. My dad is trying to tell me something. If he sees something in my life that's out of order, he's trying to address it. Maybe the way that he was raised, he wasn't able to tell me in the way that I feel like I deserve to be, to be told. But I know that it, there, there's no malintent when my dad shares something with me. And the same way in the church, you're going to find a lot of people that are going to say a lot of whacked out things. Your job in the church is to maintain the unity. And to say, this is my brother in Christ and my sister in Christ. Obviously, if he's sharing with something to me that I feel is disrespectful... I'm going to eat it. I'm just going to roll with the punches, and maybe there's something in my life that's out of order that this person's seeing, and that's why he said something like that to me. Or maybe this person's having a bad day, so now I'm going to serve as his refreshment and to encourage him so that he doesn't say that to anybody else. My job is not to go around and say, can you believe what pastor, can you believe what so-and-so told me? No. Your job is to be a person of encouragement. This church, especially if you're in this church. Why? You're literally sitting in the church that the name is Spring of Life. You're a wellspring of life. You're a refresher. You're an encourager. When you come into these doors, people come here, they should feel refreshed. So if somebody's feeling not refreshed and they told you something out of pocket, your job as a member of Spring of Life is to refresh them. That's what you're here for. If you didn't know, congratulations. Now you know. <laughs> but now you're also called to that. Now that means you've got to raise your standard a little bit. Maybe you're going to church and just spending your time, you know, enjoying the, the nice, you know, little food that we have, you like the chairs, they're kind of comfortable, the screen is amazing, it's an incredible screen, and maybe it's, you know, entertainment, but it's not. You're called to something. You're called as a member of this church to be a refreshing, you're called as a member of any church to, be, to maintain the unity. And finally, I'm getting to my close, I promise. There's a, there's a very, very, very strange misconception in the church. More so than what, your, what you feel your specific call is, right? I, 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 I am specifically called. I was ordained as a pastor. More than that, my calling is to be available. That's what you're called to. 
And that means certain things, right? In, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer what I live, but Christ who lives in me. It means that you may have an opinion on what you deserve or what, how you should be treated or what you're supposed to be doing in the church. But it's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. It says your disposition should be the same disposition as Isaiah in Isaiah 6, 8. It says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here I am, Lord, send me. When I was growing up in the church, I didn't just get handed a microphone and say, Joshua, the son of the pastor, it's your time to preach. That didn't happen. And thank God, because the first time I shared it was horrible. Horrible. Hopefully I've done a little bit better here today, but it was horrible the first time. I didn't, I didn't, that wasn't for that. That wasn't for that. That was not for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> when I was in church, when I was 12 years old, they had a ministry fair, and I signed up to be a part of the sound ministry at like 11 years old. And I was in the back with Eric and Marcos and Willie, he was the, the, the leader of the sound ministry at that time. And I was, you know, learning how to do the sound and preparing the sound. And, and, and I would wake up at, they would, Eric would come to my house at 7 o'clock in the morning at 11 years old, pick me up and take me to church because I had to be here while the worship was practicing so that I could help them with the sound. And then on Friday nights, I was the young guy doing the sound. They didn't have a sound man. It's my, it's my turn. I'm the sound man. For, for Friday nights, and I was doing that. I had to wheel, we didn't, they didn't allow us to use that soundboard because that was the special soundboard. We had to use, I had to go to the back and wheel out speakers at 11 years old, huge speakers, wheel them out and plug things in and set things up for a little rinky-dink sound monitor thing and set it up every single week. I was here early and I was doing that. And then there was a certain point where Eric went to go do, uh, got, got a career in Washington, D.C., so he left. And during that time, Willie no longer was, he left the church, something happened, I don't even know what to this day, and he left. And so now, I'm Josh at 11 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, and there's no sound man. And I'm the only one that knows how to do sound, and I'm 13 years old. And so every single service, I was back there doing sound. What does that mean? It means that Sunday I was doing sound. It means that Tuesday I was doing sound, because we used to have service on Tuesdays and Thursday I was doing sound. And Friday night I was doing sound. And I was also doing sound for Saturday, Saturday night for, the, for, the, uh, for Living Stones. So I was 13 years old going to, at that time, it was only college group, and I was doing sound for them. And also, during that same time, all of a sudden, we didn't have any more cameramen or anybody doing TriCaster. So I was sound man and doing TriCaster. If you don't know what that means, it means that I was doing not only the sound, but I was changing the camera so that when we did live stream, people could see the, the, the service. And then sometimes the person doing the words wasn't there that day. So I was doing everything. I was running, changing the cameras, changing the verses, doing the sound. Running back, doing the verses, somebody said a verse, changing the camera, and doing all that at, at 14 years old, every single week. And then there was a time where I was at church Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The only day I had off was Wednesday. I was available. I was called to say, here I am. I'm available to do something. Who's, who's called to do this? I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm called to do anything, but I, if it's a need, I'm there. I, I'm, if there's a need, I'm called to fill that need. 
The Bible says that many, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That means something else. It means that when you're called, you're also called to be available. The Bible says that this is a high call. This is a, the, the highest call. It says, be ye perfect as I am perfect. That's Jesus speaking. Jeez. Perfection? Perfection. What does that mean? There's no calling that you're unqualified for. It means that if there's a need in the church to fill, you're available to fill it. What that also means is that there's nothing that you're, too, you're not worthy of. What does that mean? Everybody wants to hold a microphone. No one wants to clean a bathroom. I've, I've done plenty of that. The pastors of this church have done plenty of that. But it also means that if there's nobody to do worship, the Bible, the, one of the qualifications of doing worship doesn't, is not that you sing well. It's that you have a heart of worship. So if there's no one to do worship, you better start singing something. <laughs> Praise God we have worshipers. Right? Because there's some people that, man, we love them to death. <laughs> but worship is not their calling, right? Wrong. Worship is their calling because you're called to have a heart of worship. You're called to be available. And there's different things. And the Bible says, how am I going to get to the standard of perfection? How is it supposed to be like that? The Bible gives us an instruction. In James 1, 4, it says, but let patience have her perfect work in you. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's a common misconception in the church because in the Bible it does say, we're going to read it right now. There's two verses that people use. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, each person has received a gift. Each person has received a gift to minister one, to steward and in the manifold grace of another. Next verse. If anyone speaks, let him speak of the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with all his abilities which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory of dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's another verse that talks about in Ephesians 4 that some are called, verse 11, I believe, some are called to be ministers, some are called to be pastors, some are called to be evangelists, some are called to be prophets, pastors, and teachers. And that people have, God gave each person a gift for that thing, right? There's some people that have, are more inclined to be better singers, so obviously it'd be, it's a very natural for, for a good singer to be on the worship team because they're singing. That's what God has given them. But the Bible also says that God works, let faith take you to the place where you're complete, perfect, and lacking nothing, which means that when you're available and you're called, you're answering that call. Regardless of whether you feel like you have a gift for that time, God called you for that day. You've been called. That's your calling. So for that moment, you are pastor. For that moment, you are minister. For that moment, you're evangelist. And all of the callings that we have for God are for a specific purpose. And the specific purpose is twofold. One is to serve God, like it's, to glorify God like we read in 1 um, in Peter the other way is in Ephesians, it talks about how the reason why we have these different gifts is the next verse, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry to edify the body of Christ. So your calling is for a specific purpose. If you don't know what your calling is, I'm going to tell you that there's the purpose of every calling is to serve, to serve the body of Christ and to bring glory and honor to God. That's your qualifications. You have now been called. That's what you're supposed to do. 
That's your calling. You're called to be a pastor when you're available to be a pastor. You're, when, the, when the pastor's mic is occupied, your job is to figure out what needs to be done and edify the body of Christ. And at times, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's going to say, hey, so-and-so, your job is to go to the back and to clean the bathrooms. Your job as somebody that's trying to edify the body of Christ is to look out and to see what's needed and then to fill that need. Because sometimes we don't know what we need, but you've got something special that God's put in your heart. If you don't do that thing, you're, you're, you're depriving the people of God of that special thing that God's given you. And until you've been called to something, to a greater call, fulfill the place that you've been put in right now. For you ushers, your job is to usher. What does that mean? Do it with dignity, grace, and respect. When somebody is trying to find a church in the church, a chair in the church, my Miami came out, church is a chair. Your job is to lead them to that chair. When the pulpit's not up and the pastor's looking for a pulpit, your job is to serve. Find the pulpit and give it to the pastor. When there's somebody that's hurting in the church, your job as a member of the body of Christ is to go and encourage that person. Your job is to call people and check up on them because you're trying to edify and serve the body of Christ. That's your call. Maybe you don't think that you have a gift for speaking. I did not have a gift for speaking to save nobody. Nobody. Yesterday when I was literally sharing with, I was sharing something similar to Megan and, and George. I was like, the first time I shared was horrible. And George is like, I know. <laughs> and he told me what the name of my message was. And I was like, yeah, it was that. It was terrible. I, I prepared all day, all day, all night. I had a long time to prepare for that message. I had like 40 pages worth of notes. Sound doctrine was in my notes. I was ready to go. I came to church early. And when there was nobody in, this, in, the, in, the, in the chairs of the church, I was practicing and going over what I, had, what I had prepared. I had 40 pages worth of notes. Sure enough, they called me to the stage, and I went up, and in four, with, with 40 pages worth of material, I finished in 10 minutes. I blew through my entire outline. I was all over the place. I was nervous. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't, I didn't think I spoke one coherent sentence. I don't think I'm called to preach. I don't think I'm called to be a pastor. I don't think I'm called to, I'm, I know that I'm called to serve. I know that I'm called to be available. I know that God's given us specific instructions of what we're supposed to do in the time that we have. I know that if I don't complete those things that God has told me that I'm supposed to do, then I miss out on all the blessings that he's created me for. In the same way, your calls for that as well. Maybe you don't have a gift for speaking. Well, maybe because... You haven't been given an opportunity to speak yet, but when you're available, maybe one day your, your week is next, and maybe they give you a little bit more time than they gave me. You don't think that you're, everybody's called to clean the bathrooms. Everybody. If Jesus was called to clean the, the sandals of his disciples, you're called to that. You know what else you're also called to? And this is where I close. A lot of people think that they don't have a gift to share the, the word of God to other people. You are sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. Literally, the last thing that Jesus told his disciples before he left is he gave his last words to his disciples. Last words were an assignment. And everybody under the sound of my voice today has the same assignment. And it's not something that you have to wait for God to reveal it to you in a special, miraculous way. It's in the word of God, and it's very plain. It says like this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. It says like this. Then Jesus came to them and said... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I have the authority to now give you your instruction. Next verse. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Next verse. 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, to, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God's last thing that he said, before, Jesus' last thing before, that he said before he left earth was an assignment. That's the last thing that he said. To me, that carries a lot of weight. And the last thing that he said was an instruction. And he says that your job as a Christian person, as a member of a church, as a member of the body of Christ, is to share the good news that you've been given to everybody you can. Everybody has an ability. You may not know the Bible like the back of your hand. You may not know it like somebody that was raised in the church or that does his own reading. You're called to figure that out, to read the Bible. You're called to, to have a relationship with God. You're also required to share your story to somebody else because you know that better than everybody else. There's some people that when they, you give them a mic and you say, all right, brother, share your testimony. They said, well, my life was good and God made it better. It's like, very good. That's not what your story is. Right? A lot of times my dad will give a mic to somebody. It's like, share your testimony. It's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about, pastor. Life's good. It's like, dude, like two minutes ago you were telling me how your marriage was in a wreck. You were cheating on your wife. Your, your wife was about to leave you. God restored your life and restored your marriage. You no longer have these sexual perversions in your mind. You're a clean man and you're doing things right and everybody respects you. That's the story that you have to share. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in your story. You were once in darkness. Now you're in light. You share with everybody, look, I was in deep darkness, and look, God made me royalty. So now I could walk with authority and respect. And you also carry yourself with the same authority and respect. And you're on assignment. So there's no shame. You're exactly where you're supposed to be doing the thing that God created you for. And when you start doing that thing, all of a sudden, the things, doors start opening up. And you would have fulfilled and completed the things that God shares that the people in Hebrews 11 did. You would have done crazy, amazing things for God. And I'm here to share with you today, like I shared earlier, the Bible says in Romans 11:29 that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. What does that mean? You don't retire. There's no takebacks. It's not like God says, hey, you're a pastor. No, 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 no. Hey, here's a broom. Go clean the No, 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 no. Hey, go tell that person an encouraging word. Nope, 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 not that guy. Nope, he wronged me. No, that's the call of God. The call of God is irrevocable. Today, you have received the call of God over your lives. And it wasn't something that you had to go out seeking in special revelation. It's already been given to us in special revelation, plainly. And maybe you will have a moment where God says, gives you a, a direct vision of exactly where you're supposed to be, exactly what you're called to be, and exactly in the time that you're supposed to do it. But in David's life, the vision of God and the calling of God came to him while he was doing the things that God had already called him to. He was out tending sheep. And then God called him to be a king. And even after he was called to be a king, he didn't stop tending sheep. He didn't just immediately go from there to, to killing Goliath. The Bible says that his, his role in killing Goliath, in killing Goliath was, a, was a, while he was performing and while he was being obedient to his dad. The Bible says that David was told by his father, Jesse, I want you to go take these, this little lunchable to your brothers that are fighting in an army. And through his obedience, all of a sudden, he was given the position where he was face to face with Goliath. And because he was where he was supposed to be in the moment he was supposed to be, how he was supposed to do it, no fear. Took off the head of a, of a giant. In the same way today, you've received your calling. No fear. Go and be encouraged that today you know exactly what you were created for. You are on assignment. You've got a special purpose and a special plan for your own life. Your job is to fulfill that thing, and when you're done, God's going to call you back home. 
Be worthy of the calling that God has given you. So that when you're done and your time's expired here on earth, God would tell you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You're called to be a well done and good and faithful servant today. And with that, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day, oh God. Thank you so much for all the things you've given us, oh God. We love you so much, oh God, because you first loved us and you care about us, oh God. You did not leave us here on this earth to fend for ourselves, oh God. You've given us a specific assignment and a specific purpose, a specific call, oh God. Lord, I pray today that we would be encouraged and emboldened, oh God, to go fulfill the thing that you've called us for. That we'd no longer second guess ourselves because we're exactly where we need to be, how we need to be there. Lord, we are available to your call today, oh God. Use us, oh God, in the way that you would want us to be used, oh God. Lord, I pray that our thoughts, our opinions would not get in the way in the place that you have called us for. Lord, we love you so much and we can't wait to see the amazing and crazy things that you're going to do in everybody's lives here today, oh God. The purpose and plans, oh God. Somebody walking with purpose, walking with authority, oh God. No longer second guessing themselves, oh God, or being insecure about the way that they look or the way that they feel, oh God. Because they no longer feel anything, oh God. They're on assignment. They're doing exactly what you called them to. And it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. And everybody says, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> Greet one another in the love of the Lord. There is a second service in Spanish. There's a Wednesday service at 7. Love to see you there.